0: Thank you, David. What David didn't tell you is he was given an option whether to preach tonight or to lead singing, and he chose lead singing. Let that be a lesson to you. Place membership. There's a quick turnaround. How many of you have ever been in a situation where you're down, maybe depressed, you're dealing with turmoil in your life, adversity, heartache, and somebody says to you, but you know, God would never give you more than you can handle. Is that true? You know, I think about it, and I read through the Bible, and, you know, the truth of the matter is, there are many people in the Bible who seem to have thought that God gave them more than they could handle. You ever read the Psalms? David certainly felt like that God had given him more than he could handle. And you know, from a practical standpoint, there are many people who are living in our world right now, perhaps even people sitting in our, our, our auditorium tonight, who feel as though that God has given them more than they could handle. I really don't know how this started. My guess is it comes from a misreading of 1 Corinthians chapter 10. If you look there, it says, No temptation has overtaken you, but such as is common to man. And God is faithful, who will not allow you to be tempted beyond what you are able, but with the temptation will provide the way of escape also, so that you will be able to endure it. You know, this is why we need to do more diligence when it comes to the Bible and studying God's Word, because it's so easy for us to extrapolate a meaning from a passage and to make it mean something that it was never originally intended to mean. And that's what's happened here in First Corinthians chapter 10. you got to back up and get the context. You look at verse 1 and following. It says, For I do not want you to be unaware, brethren, that our fathers were all under the cloud, and all passed through the sea, and all were baptized into Moses in the cloud and in the sea, and all ate the same spiritual food, and all drank the same spiritual drink, for they were drinking from a spiritual rock which followed them, and the rock was Christ. Nevertheless... The most, uh, with most of them, God was, well, was not well pleased, for they were laid low in the wilderness. Now these things happened as examples for us, so that we would not crave evil things as they craved. Do not be idolaters, as some of them were. As it is written, the people sat down to eat and drink and stood up to play. Nor let us act immorally, as some of them did, and 23,000 fell in one day. Nor let us try the Lord, as some of them did, and were destroyed by the serpents nor grumble as some of them did and were destroyed by the destroyer. Now these things happened to them as an example, and they were written for our instruction upon whom the ends of the ages have come. Therefore, let him who thinks he stands take heed that he does not fall. The immediate context of 1 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 13, is that Paul is giving a history lesson. And Paul is telling the Corinthian brethren and us in the process, don't be like them. Learn from their mistakes. Don't fall like they did. Don't be destroyed by the destroyer. Learn from their example. Paul is exhorting the Corinthian people to stand vigilant. The the Corinthian brethren were heading down a precarious path, and evidently Paul knew this, and so he was trying to head it off before it got too bad. There was temptation to do as God's people did when they rebelled back in Old Testament times. And Paul is confronting this with a warning. There was the temptation to turn away from God to instant gratification. And Paul is saying, don't do that. Learn from your history. So rather than suggesting that God will never give you more than you can handle, Paul is encouraging these brethren that no matter how great the temptation, there is always an exit strategy. There's always a way out. No matter how great the temptation God is not tempting you, but he does provide an escape route. And the word that Paul uses here is a vivid one in the Greek. It's the Greek word "ekbasis," and it means an egress. But it also can mean by way of a mountain pass. The imagery of this word is, is depicting like being surrounded by an army of enemies, and yet you don't have to surrender, you don't have to retreat, because a way out has been provided. There is no temptation that can render you powerless. That's the message. Very different than what we take from that oftentimes. Let's say that you are a married man. And a very voluptuous woman tempts you. She's coming on to you. And you give in to the temptation. And you say, well, I just couldn't help it. I mean, what could I do? You see, based on this scripture, there are some some things that you can do right you 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 are without excuse you can't excuse yourself or absolve yourself by saying "Well, I, I had no other recourse I had to do it right I mean we look at Joseph in the Old Testament we see that he leaves his cloak in the wife of Potiphar's hand as he escapes that situation he didn't fall prey to the temptation you are powerless on your own you cannot defeat the giant of sin in your life by yourself but victory is assured When you have the stronghold of faith. But even the Christian will be tempted. And if you are a strong Christian, expect that God will come at you, excuse me, that Satan will come at you even harder. That he is not going to turn his weapons of mass destruction away from you. But in fact, he's going to put you in his crosshairs. But it's much easier to face the temptation when God is on your side. So this is not about God giving you or not giving you more than you can handle. This is about temptation and battling temptation. This is about being diligent and vigilant so that you do not make the same mistakes as those who came before you. Paul is in no way saying that God is is going to give you burdens, but rest assured they won't be that bad because he's not going to give you more of them than you can handle. No, the text here is talking about temptation and the exit strategy involved. But you go back to the Psalms, as we alluded to a moment ago, and we find in the Psalms, we find scriptures from David that talk about the difficulty of bearing what seems to be more than than they can handle. Psalm 38 and 4, David writes, For my iniquities are gone over my head. As a heavy burden, they weigh too much for me. Verse 80 continues, I am benumbed and badly crushed. I groan because of the agitation of my heart. You read the entirety of Psalm 88 one, uh, sometime, and you, you can see this as well. Here's a portion of it. Oh, Lord, why do you reject my soul? Why do you hide your face from me? I was afflicted and about to die from my youth on. I suffer your terrors. I am overcome. Many of the Psalms are the recorded words of one who felt that they were bearing more than they could handle. And what about Elijah being told by an angel in 1 Kings nineteen seven to arise, eat, because the journey is too great for you. And let us not forget our Lord. Eloi, Eloi, lama sabachthani, which means, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Throughout the Bible, we find people who seem to be bearing more than they could handle, who felt like more had been put on them than they, than they could handle themselves. And so, from a practical standpoint, Even in our daily lives, perhaps you've been at a a point in your life where you felt like you were bearing more than you could handle. That perhaps the adversity was being heaped upon you and you you didn't know how you could go on. You know, in Galatians chapter 6, Paul says, bear one another's burdens and thereby fulfill the law of Christ. Why would Paul write that? I mean if God is giving you or not giving you more than you can handle, why do we need to bear anyone's burdens? Why would Paul need to give that instruction? Do you see where I'm going with this? I mean, instead of bearing one another's burdens, we just need to stand back and let God do his thing, right? I mean, God's given you this burden. Whether it's too much for you to handle or not, he's not going to give you more than you can handle, right? So you may think that it's too much, but he's just working, so we've got to step back and let him work. I can't help you bear it because this is God's will for you. That doesn't make sense. God gets the credit oftentimes for things that he hasn't done. Many times we look to God and we blame God for certain things in our lives, including adversity and and hardship. Did God allow those things? Yes. Did he sign off on them? No, not necessarily. But we want to give God the credit for the devil's handiwork, don't we? All too often we want to give God all the credit for everything, all the time, when... It may not have been God's will. And a lot of times, it's our own will that gets us in a position that is precarious or causes adversity. If I go to a local bar and get slobber-faced drunk and crash into a pole and hurt myself, maybe paralyze myself from the waist down, I can't go back. Well, God will never give you more than you can handle. God had nothing to do with that. That was my own dumb fault, right? Some of our suffering is caused by our own silly decisions. Some of it is caused by the decisions of others. Again, God didn't sign off on it. God didn't want it. But some people use their free will in a way that is is against God's will. And we pay the price sometimes. But when adversity comes our way, we want to point the finger at God. And God tends to get blamed for our misfortunes. And this leads to questions like, why me, God? And and as a result, people people have this idea that God, God is mad at me. Or he doesn't love me and nothing could be further from the truth. While the Bible does speak to God disciplining those who are His sons, we are often quick to give God the credit for things that result from our bad choices or bad decisions. you I have the opportunity quite often to sit down with individuals who know they're going to die. They've been told that, that whatever it is they're dealing with can no longer be treated. And they're going to have to face the inevitable which means death and so they're allowed sometimes to go home they're under hospice care and sometimes they're overwhelmed with grief sometimes they're very anxious and scared they can barely function some question god and want to know why why does god allow cancer why does he allow these bad things to happen to good people and and you know in those situations i feel totally helpless i mean what can you do? There's not really anything you can do to bring comfort in those moments other than to pray for them to say that that I'm here for you. You know, when when you look at a situation like that and people dealing with those types of questions, I realize that sometimes life gives us more than we can handle. Sometimes it just overwhelms us. And when it does, there's one that we can turn to. This isn't about God not giving you more than you can handle. Many times what we're doing is we're blaming God for giving us things. I mean, what is, this, what is the suggestion there? What's the implication? Well, that God is doing this to me. God is punishing me. He's just not going to go all the way with it and kill me or give me more than I can handle, but he's going to give me a lot of adversity. Is that how God works? We've talked about that before in other sermons. And I wrote a blog post about it not long ago and got a lot of good response, but God doesn't need another angel in heaven. You know, that's how we comfort people sometimes. You know, a woman who is a mother loses her son or daughter at a young age. Well, you know, God must have needed another angel in heaven. No, God doesn't kill little children. That's not what God does. God doesn't give you cancer. God doesn't torture people, okay? Okay. And if that's your perception of God, that's wrong. But God is there to turn to him when we feel like we've been dealt more than we can handle. When we feel like that this life has really dealt us a bad hand or thrown us a curveball, God is there. Because God knows about suffering, doesn't he? Our Lord knows about suffering. Our Lord is intimately acquainted with suffering. He endured far more than than you or I could ever imagine. And so my Lord can sympathize with my suffering because he has felt the emotional sting and the mental anguish and the pain of rejection, of loss, of torturous agony, of floggings, of beatings, and of course crucifixion. The prophet Isaiah said he was despised and forsaken of men, a man of sorrows and acquainted with grief, and like one from whom men hide their face, he was despised, and we did not esteem him. Surely our griefs he himself bore, and our sorrows he carried. Suffering's not foreign to our Lord. He encountered suffering on a level that we could never imagine. And he can relate because he has been there. The cross is an important reminder for us. And not the one you wear around your neck or that you wear as jewelry. I'm talking about the one that he was fastened to, the one he's still on. That, that is a great reminder for us when life gets difficult. That we have a Savior that can sympathize. We have a God that we can turn to. It reminds us of the brokenness of the world. And it reminds us that in times of pain and suffering, we're not alone. It's not that God will never give you more than you can handle. The biblical truth is that God is there when you feel that your burdens are more than you can handle. That's the truth. And again, I I, I really, there are some things that are adages or cliches or trite little sayings that we hear over and over again, and they take on a spiritual connotation, and so we just assume that they're found in the Bible somewhere, which only shows our ignorance, and I mean that, In the kindest way as possible you know that we just need to educate ourselves better we need to look and study more cleanliness is next to godliness many people believe that's in the bible right and sometimes it's even things in the bible that we twist and contort or we don't we don't understand properly or recite properly like money is the root of all evil you hear that a lot i even saw it on a church sign recently Money's not the root of all evil. That's not what Paul says in 1 Timothy 6. He says, for the love of money is the root of all evil, right? And there's other ones like uh, God only helps those who help themselves like we talked about last week. And this one, God will never give you more than you can handle. And while we're on the subject, let's be careful in how we respond to someone who is dealing with grief. To say things like God needed another angel in heaven or, or whatever it may be, or Someone who is dealing with loss to say, well, you know, God will never give you more than you can handle. Someone's dealing with stage four cancer. Well, God will never give you more than you can handle. You know, I think sometimes the best thing to say when it comes to helping someone who's grieving is nothing. I think sometimes that's the best. It's just to remain silent. To love on them. To hug them. Maybe if we say anything, tell them that we're, we're praying for you or can I have a prayer with you, right? There will always be mystery surrounding suffering and why certain people go through certain things. We don't have all the answers, but we can pray. We can point them in the direction of a God who comforts and who cares and brings peace. But our little sayings, a lot of times they don't bring comfort. They only cause more questions. And a lot of times they're not even biblical. You'll hear more false doctrine at a funeral than you will anywhere else, right? It's a shame, but it's true. A daughter complained to her father that life was just piling up on her, that she just couldn't handle it anymore, that God was giving her more than she could bear. And her father said, well, let me show you something. And so the father took three large pots and filled them with water, and he brought them to a boil. And in one pot he put carrots, in another pot he put, and he put eggs, in another pot he put coffee beans. And when it was brought to a bowl, he took out the contents in each, the carrots, the eggs, and he poured the coffee in a bowl. And he asked his daughter, he said, so feel the carrots. She felt the carrots. He said, what what do you feel? She said, well, I mean, they're mushy. They're soft. That's right. Now crack that egg. So she cracked the egg. After she got the hard shell off, she noticed it was hard-boiled. He said, now drink some of the coffee. Well, she was... More than ready to do that. She loved coffee, loved the smell of coffee. She said, it tastes great. She said, but what what are you getting at? What are you driving at? And he said, well, you've got to determine as someone who feels as though that you have more than you can bear how you're going to react. What's your reaction going to be? Are you going to be like the carrots that went into the adversity strong and hard but comes out soft and weak? Or are you going to be like that egg it goes into the pot of boiling water with a hard shell on the outside, but liquid on the inside, but comes out hard on the inside. Or are you going to be like the coffee, the beans, that flavors the water around? The choice is yours, and, and the same choice is for us as well when it comes to adversity and how we deal with it. Instead of blaming God and pointing to some unscriptural kind of thing like God will never give you more than you can handle, how about we look at it from the standpoint of how am I going to handle this with God on my side? We always ask the question, why God? How about asking the question, how God? How can I do this with you on my side? Am I going to allow the adversity to make me soft? Am I going to allow it to make me bitter and hardened on the inside? Or am I going to flavor the world around me Am I going to use that adversity in a way that I can help others? That certainly can make me stronger? And so that I am a better Christian after it's all said and done. This isn't about God giving you or not giving you more than you can handle. This is about handling the trials of life in a godly manner. When adversity knocks, how do you respond? That's the question. And we've got a lot of folks in our congregation that are dealing with adversity. The fact that we are growing, and we have been growing, at a really it's really been exciting to see the growth that we've been having. But maybe you know or don't know this, but with this growth has come people who have issues and who have problems. And I, for one, am glad that they feel like that they can come here to the Oldham Lane Church of Christ and feel like that they get help. That They feel like that there is a community here that will help them get through it. One of the large misconceptions about church, about the assembly that we have, is that in order to be a part of it, you have to be cleaned up and dressed up and blessed up in order to be a part of it. And nothing could be further from the truth. We kind of give this impression that if you'll come in, sit up straight, act right, look forward, then we'll take you, and you'll fit right in. No, I mean, look at the churches in the Bible. Look at the churches that Paul addressed. These weren't perfect people. These churches were far from having it all together. You don't have to have it all together. In fact, that's who we want are the people who are not you know, dressed up and cleaned up and blessed up. We want the people who are messed up and and broken up and maybe even the people that are destroyed and at rock bottom. If you can't come here and find healing, where are you gonna go? You don't have to meet some arbitrary standard before you can come here and worship God and find God's people, helping you bear your burden being an encouragement to you and helping you get through whatever whatever it is you're going through? Sometimes it's a change of perception of what we feel church should be. And I hate to use the analogy of a hospital because none of us like hospitals, but the church should be a healing place because every one of us as Christians should understand healing. I mean, if we don't understand it, who does, right? And so we should be the leaders in helping people heal for whatever it is they're going through. If we can help you tonight, if you have a need, I know that you don't always feel comfortable answering the invitation by you know, walking down the aisle. Maybe you answer it in your heart. Maybe you, maybe you come to one of the elders or myself later. That's fine. But if you know that you have an issue that you need that you need the help, you need the prayers and the support of this church family, let us. And if we can't help you, let us help you find the help that you need. David's going to lead us in a song. If we can help you in some way, come now as we stand and as we sing.